It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone and welcome to our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor as we have a discussion to try to make the world of work just a little bit better. Jeremy, (laughs) we're going to be talking about reputation today. Um, theory versus practice, which is interesting to me because, you know, what I see in the world of work is people talk a lot of theory, but they seem to have problem putting it into practice. Yeah. So today is going to be interesting because we have a, we have a really good article. We're going to take this in a couple of different directions, but we're, I'm also going to use something that Dr. Destiny Pre put together. She's got this mapping, it's called mapping a blueprint for implementing AI in military organizations. And her and I, her, woo, so, uh, her and I, we were, we were meeting and she shared this with me because she recently did a, a presentation. Let's, let's talk about warrior. So we were all at the, you know, kudos, first off, kudos to PSYOP for pulling off a seemingly in, uh, inconceivable feat with all the sessions in Boston. It was an absolutely tremendous conference. We've got a number of people on the, uh, on the live show today that were there. And then she gets back from Boston and she goes and she doesn't yet another another conference the day she gets back uh to to talk to um to talk about this this blueprint but i looked at it and i said this is basic this is once you know once in a while something comes across your desk where you should just keep it on your desk and you can see how it looks because the the questions are so pertinent and you look in you're looking at deployment and implementation of initiatives indicators of success ROI, just to name, you know, design, it's a, it's a design thinking approach, just to name a few. And I told her, I said, I'm going to keep this on my desk. And if it's a different subject matter than AI, I'll just cross out AI in my mind and use it for that. And as far as the stakeholders, I'll just change the stakeholders, but it's so applicable. So I'm going to be sharing a a little bit of of the questions and information from that as we move forward today. Um, The article that we're going to be looking at today, which is in the chat, this one is 
publicly available. It's on Google Scholar. This one's called CEO's Views on Reputation Management. Um, it's from, I believe it's 2000, up oh, 2005. It's in the Journal of, Man- of Communication Management. And it's neat because they pulled qualitative data from, uh, I'll read here. This report summarizes a series of interviews conducted in mid-2004 with 14 chief executives, officers, and chairmen from major UK and international organizations. The purpose was to determine what CEOs perceived to be the value of public relations, their own role at reputation management, and how they assess the contribution that PR makes to overall business and organizational performance. Now I'm reading this and I'm thinking, you know, stay on topic, stay on topic. How can we do this? I'm thinking, Tom, I'm thinking our audience. So when we look at the, I think in the US, it's something like 90, 90 plus percent of businesses in the US are small businesses that aren't going to have a PR firm and they're not going to have a PR person. So how does this apply? And then I wrote a question to myself, what's the difference between public relations and reputation? And then what's the question between public relations and reputation management? And then I found a little nugget because we all love these nuggets and we all love these little morsels and tidbits. That's why it's called work cookie, Tom. And the author of this article says PR can only enhance, not create reputation. So there's a lot going on here in terms of a reputation, how it's created. And then we have to look at the 90%, uh, we'll just call it 90% of small businesses who don't have a PR department. I also encourage, because we look at this this kind of stuff and we say, what are we doing the research on? And of course, we love our peer-reviewed articles. We love looking at empirical data and, and what's already known so that we don't have to, we're not just throwing spaghetti at a wall. I encourage people that are interested in this for your for your own personal reputation, personal brand, uh, but these small businesses, look up some interesting studies on personal reputation because some of those factors are obviously going to be able to parallel to a business's reputation because you're going to have some of the same some of the same factors. So it's important to not not get this this tunnel vision where we're looking and saying, well, this doesn't apply. I don't have a big PR firm. Really take it, get a holistic view so that you can start, you know, use this this uh podcast as as motivation, take some information, but then what else can you do and think about what else you can pull from, Tom? Well, the thing that pops into mind, Jeremy, is, is just the, the formation of a reputation and and what is it that you want that reputation to say? So, you know, I deal with a lot of leaders who, you know, they don't want to be seen in a negative light, especially with something like failure. But failure is a great thing. It's terrible when you're going through it. But, you know, it humanizes you. You, you know, you have gone through tough times as your employees or your customers have. So how do we build that reputation but not end up, you know, living in a glass house? Ooh, that's uh, it's pertinent. How do we build that reputation? So I want to start off by reading a couple of the main findings for this study, because I think it hints on part of your answer. And then I might get into some of the relevant questions that, that Destiny asks with her model. So first off, some of the finding main findings of this article are, you know, one, for example, CEOs feel that there is an underinvestment in the practice of public relations. Surprisingly, they also don't feel a need to demonstrate a return on investment for <laughs> PR. It's one of those, 
I guess they just trust in it and they realize the gravity of it. So they're not too concerned about the actual measures. The other thing that's interesting to note about return on investment, there's a great resource out there. It's called the, I think it's called the ROI Institute. And they have a lot of, they have a lot of uh, uh, media that, that you can research. They do trainings. Uh, they have some, some books that have been written about knowing your own worth and how to demonstrate that. But when you look at ROI, measuring ROI isn't something that should be that necessarily should be done in all cases. There's a there are some circumstances where it costs more to run uh, the and, and determine whether there's a return on investment than the actual return on investment because it's not it's not the easiest thing to do. So just keep that as a, a bit of a side note. Um, the other question that that was asked in this particular study was who owns the reputation who owns the reputation and the, the that particular brand of the company whose job is it and here are the findings all the ceos interviewed felt that they own that reputation and i thought this was interesting mostly because this was derived more from what the organization did than what it said so this is proof is in the pudding put your money where your mouth is and that's what leads me back to your question tom of they own it and it's about that particular action. So I'll start off with just a couple of thought pieces. I see some hands going up, but I wanted to incorporate some of these questions. And Tom, you said many CEOs, you don't want to be right. Like what CEO wants to be vulnerable? What CEO wants to put more of their political capital on the table if they don't have to? How do how do you as a and when I say CEO I mean you're a small business you know small business owners we have to look at this from the the, the various uh, mind frameworks of our audience how do we better understand what the needs are I'm going to start off with a couple of these questions so think about just ideation what are the challenges that are faced that are foreseeable and non-foreseeable with your particular company? And how can you start to set a response in terms of who, who might want to lead those particular responses? That I think is such a pertinent question in terms of foreseeable and non-foreseeable that I'm going to think on that and turn it back to you, Tom, to go to some of the hands. All right. Well, let's go to you, Maria. So a few years back, I was doing some coursework and um, it was on redesigning um, hospitals. And one of the things that um, they were talking about was disrupting um, the vulnerability of leadership by actually bringing up their shortcomings, if you will, um, ahead of time, before the press, if you will. Um, and, you know, it was a 50-50 split, literally, um, as to who felt that they that it would benefit them. But um, in the studies that I read, it act, the favorable uh, result for those that actually um, were more transparent with their shortcomings and things that they knew were going to be, you know, made known to the public, uh, they decided that they would be the ones to um, you know, give their point of view and their actual uh, situations before somebody less objective did. And I think, you know, Jeremy um, mentioned vulnerability, and I think, you know, vulnerability is seen as such a shortcoming. But the fact of the matter is, you know, as strong as reputation is, character is much stronger because your character goes with you all the time. And as, you know, I'm in, I, I'm in uh, retail sales on the side and 
you know, people can, I can tell people, I, I will treat you like the best customer that I have, but I have to walk that talk every single time, you know, and it's the same with the wow factor. If you're going to get good business, we're big store, little store, whatever it is, if you don't hold your end of the deal, the wow factor, positive or negative, is going to make you or break you, regardless of what your reputation is. Yeah, it certainly will. And and just do we also have to consider, you know, as, as you mentioned, you know, talking to those CEOs, some don't want to hear it, but isn't it important to, you know, that messaging is going to go out one way or another. It's it's vitally important, is it, that we control that messaging? So so wake up. Uh, Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny to see kind of the through line of the last several several sessions, you know, talking last week about kind of that social media impression and, you know, that uh, reputation that you have when you're looking for for job seekers. Um, and I think this kind of comes down to the, the centerpiece that we keep talking about. If you don't have a plan or an action or a central drive, you know, if you don't know who you are and what you want your reputation to be, you're going to sit out there and flounder. Um, I thought it was funny that Jeremy mentioned that, you know, maybe we don't need to look into, to you know, return on investment as far as, you know, PR and shaping that message and getting out ahead of, you know, any sort of problems. Why is it they can see those second and third and fourth order kind of ripples in investing in that, but they don't see it in investing in their people. And so I think that's kind of a, a interesting sort of self-preservation. If they're maintaining their own reputation or their company's reputation, they're willing to, to spend at something that might work, but to improve performance, they 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 balk at the cost and, and things like that. So it's a it's an interesting disconnect, but it's kind of that same principle of you know yeah you get you get past a point where you can measure it in money, and now you're measuring it in do you have happy people? Do you have something that people want to be a part of? Um, and I think messaging and marketing are, are easier to see it with uh, sometimes than with some of the IO concepts we deal with. How do we measure character? I mean, I, I, if I had 10 CEOs in a room and I said, how's your character? They'd all go, oh, my character is great. Um, but I'm not sure that judging your own character is the best way to go. And how exactly do like when we talk about reputation, Nick, what are some of the breakdowns besides character and, and how do we actually measure those things? I, I mean, it's the perception becomes reality. I think that's the interesting part of you don't get to control your own reputation to, to some degree. It's like it's it's the guy who gives himself a nickname and you're like, you're just you're trying too hard. That has to be something that's earned, something that somebody else sees in you rather than you trying to, to force the issue. You can act in a way that might get those, you know, sort of titles and things like that handed to you. But, you know, nobody nobody's a big fan of, of somebody being like, you'll address me as so-and-so. <laughs> yes. When I got my master's degree, I told everyone they could now refer to me as master. That did not work well. <laughs> uh, Aaron, welcome to the show. Unmute your mic and join us. Hi. First and foremost, thanks for bringing me on. I'm really excited to be here. And uh, honestly, I rose my hand right before Nick spoke and he really encaptured a lot of what I was going to say. Now, I'm a big metaphor guy. So when I think about vulnerability, I think, think of bad breath. Right. And just follow me for a second. You want people that are going to say, hey, man, your breath stinks. And that's what you want in a culture. And so you're talking about that return on investment. And really, people are going to walk around. Yeah, I smell my own breath. It doesn't, it doesn't sting. Well, you want to surround yourself with those people that that's the return on investment when you can see multiple moments. And it's kind of like there's a, a level 
where, okay, I understand and follow me with the metaphor. I understand my breath stings, but it's, it's only when it's really, really bad that somebody's, whoo, that's awful. Right. And that's the vulnerability. That's the moments of people saying, okay, that's too much. But if you pull back, you see more of a positive culture when it's smaller increments being called out. It's smaller increments of, hey, that's outside your character. Hey, that's not quite you. That's when you see the return on investment for culture, for vulnerability, when it's, okay, what's the measure of how far outside the line do we have to go for somebody says, hey, you colored outside the line or you stepped out of line, essentially. Is that something we want to educate all employees in? Or do we need to bring on staff, um, the character police that <laughs> that monitor all this, who can have those conversations? In your mind, what's the best way to go, Aaron? First and foremost, culture is made at the top. It's top down. You know, you live in that culture. You have to, as Maria mentioned, you have to live it every single day. And so you have those missions, vision, values for your company. Do you have them for yourself? You know, who do you want to show up as? And does that align with your company? And if not, maybe you should go somewhere else. And if not, if it does, then you can continue to hold people accountable. It reminds me of a talk by, um, I think it was Adam Grant, actually, talking about givers versus takers. And I think he said, once you get 80% of these givers, which is, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give to you, I'll go the extra mile, then they start to push out the takers, which are those that are like, okay, I'll, I'll pull from you. Yeah, yeah, take more of my work. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. They're taking advantage. So once you get that strong enough culture, it's almost airtight. I won't say it's airtight, but it's almost because then they're like, hey, you're not you're not fitting in. We're all helping each other here. I, I do. Yeah. And I do like that vision that you're creating. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. I think we need to look at some of the um, where it can start. I mean, initially, <clears throat> I think no matter what size company you are, there's a piece that needs to be um, part of your overall strategic plan is how do you want to manage that reputation and what do you want that reputation to be initially? Because if you just let it happen, then you completely lost control and you don't know what the outcome is going to be. So it needs to be a conscious process or a conscious um way of identifying things within the, and communicating that within the company, regardless of how big you are. I mean, it can be 10 people, it can be, you know, a thousand and 10 people, whatever. I think we also need to look at how consistent is that reputation from, you know, whether it's your product and services um, that you have a reputation, maybe your, your products are outstanding, right? But your reputation as an employer might really suck. And so there's there can be conflicts there. And, and I think there's decisions that need to be made about how do we want to um, communicate this as a whole and how much pay attention are we going to pay to each of the different components, whether it's your leadership, your workplace environment, how you are as an employer, what your products and services are. Those are all different things that can um, impact your overall reputation. Um, and then one of the things, as, as Nick had mentioned, when we had our conversation last week, you know, some of the data, even though there's not a lot, when people post online, um, when an employee posts online, it reflects back on the employer. Is there such a thing as a reputation coach? I've never heard of it, but I'm kind of wondering. Oh, yes. Go ahead. So there are, I, I was looking, I was preparing for this today and I didn't realize that there's a role that's called a reputation manager. 
And their job is to do this. And then if there's negative postings to get them taken down or address them and pay attention. So I was like, wow, that's a new one. (laughs) Coming to an organization near you. Uh, Jeremy, let's get back to you. Excellent. Uh, This is great. I'm going to zigzag here a little bit. That's what I'd like to do, Tom. So what, what, uh, let's see, where are we at? We got two, three, I'm looking at my notes. All right. So first off, let's go with what Aaron was saying about, you need someone who's going to, who's going to tell you that's one of the actual, one of the outline recommendations in this particular article, very specifically CEOs need external public relations advisors quote, who can look them in the eye and sometimes tell them what they don't want to hear, but have to know. So I wanted to mention that because Aaron pointed to it and it's it's right here. The other thing that's here in terms of the recommendation, because we're talking about how do we actually put this in the, into the practice, 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 practice. One thing here, ensure stakeholder mapping to protect, to protect key relationships. This goes back over to, now I'm looking at um, this map that Destiny, Dr. Destiny wrote, and how can the reputation, how, sorry, how can we, be, I'm taking what she wrote, then I'm adding my notes. So I'm uh, mixing it a little bit. How can we frame the reputation to various stakeholders in a way that is clear and actionable? So this is, again, how do we turn it into practice? How do we frame reputation to various stakeholders in a way that's clear and actionable? Think about it like this, Tom, we've talked to, you know, we've got one of our Pathfinder members who, um, Joshua, who's actually at PSYOP, it was great to see him, who has experience as a DJ, as a radio DJ. And one thing we talk about, and we've talked about this, Tom, is how do you speak to many, many people at the same time, like a radio DJ must, but also make every person individually think that you're speaking directly to them? That's a sign. That's an art. I don't know how much of a science, but that's at least an art. So again, that's why it's so important here. One of the key takeaways or the outline recommendations from the study, ensure stakeholder mapping to protect key relationships. And these aren't necessarily things that it's going to take a ton of time. If you're a small business owner, get a blank piece, piece of paper, look up, if you're not familiar with what a mind map is, look up mind map and just make a mind map of your stakeholders. And stakeholder is basically anyone who's affected by your business in some way or your involvement in that business. And start to map out what are the relationships? What do you want each of the, the those stakeholders to think, feel, see, and on and on and on? When I asked that question of myself earlier, what's the difference between public relations and reputation or reputation management? I started thinking a long time ago, that, and I, I heard this from somewhere, reputation is really what people are saying behind your back. So it's sometimes it can be difficult because when we look at some of the other things, like how do we gather data? How do we use feedback? How do we understand how this interacts with what we're actually trying to do? That's where it might uh, take getting a little, really just sitting down for a little bit, getting a little creative to start to figure that out. Next, I want to go to what Nick said about <laughs> you're the kind of person who gives yourself a nickname. And of course, I couldn't help but think George Costanza on that Seinfeld when he's uh, he orders a T-bone steak at lunch and his boss is like, cause he wants the name T-bone as a, as a nickname. And his boss is like a T-bone steak for lunch. That's pretty odd. He goes, Oh yeah, I love him. But then the guy besides him, beside him orders a T-bone steak. So they give the other guy the nickname T-bone and George gets all upset. 
And by the end of the show, they nickname uh, they ended up nick- nicknaming George Coco the Monkey <laughs> instead of T Bone. <laughs> so it's just absolutely crazy. And I want to thank Maria. This, uh, if you guys can see it, it says yada yada yada. So at Psyop, we had these. Uh, of course, you've got your land lanyard and your badge, and you've got these little things. I didn't know about this until the very last day that this existed. She comes running up on the third floor of the Hyatt Convention Center, and she gives me this, uh, which I will keep and 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 love and enjoy. So thank you, Maria. Tom, back to you. Well, Jeremy, let me be a bit of a contrarian here because I'll see if I can do this without using names. Uh, there's a large organization that delivers packages, um, and they provide great service. But their reputation also includes the notion that they treat their employees quite badly. But we still use them. I, you know, I use them. I feel a little bit bad every time I use them. But it doesn't seem, you know, that negative comments about how they treat their employees doesn't really seem to be affecting their bottom line. So, how important is reputation? Tom, I think I know that organization. It starts with a Z, maybe a Q. <laughs> and, uh, that's interesting because what I was thinking when I, what I was thinking about this, it's what are the goals and priorities? And I actually wrote down, do you want your reputation? What do you want your reputation aligned with? Do you want it aligned with the internal culture of the company? Do you want it to be an employee-led type of reputation where you're looking at more of an employer brand? So again, these are questions but Tom, again, we don't we don't we don't rehearse and we don't prep, but it's just always amazing the how we're on the these wavelengths together. So actually, maybe not. Let me go back to this. I got the essence of your point, but what was your actual question? Well, you know, we, we're talking about reputation and managing your reputation, but I all know that we use services that have bad reputations. And sometimes you can provide great service, which helps your rep- you know, your your image. But if you're treating your employees badly and that word gets out, that can damage your reputation. So is there real value in reputation? That's That's interesting. So think about reputation and what people are actually buying. Just like, and we might have even said this on the last podcast, so forgive me. If you're buying, if you spend money on a babysitter, are you really, so, so so that you and your wife can go out at night, are you really buying babysitting services or are you really buying a night out with your wife and, and some free time. So when you when you look at these bigger companies, what are you really buying? Are you really buying their commitment to and and you've got it? I mean, you, then you look at people's self interest. How uh, contradictory? Like how how much of a contradictory lives lives do we live on on a day to day basis? We are human, so we justify so much. So then it just becomes a question of. Are we are we putting quality or and perhaps convenience over not knowing something? This is when cognitive dissonance comes into play, where you feel something, but you act differently. And that's important to look at, too, because then we look at what are our values and et cetera, et cetera, because we can justify all day long. We can say, all right, look, Amazon, I, that's not the company you were talking about, Tom, but we can say... Amazon might have a reputation for not treating its employees good, but you know, maybe that was just one thing that we heard. We have a way of justifying because we want what we want. Maybe it's really not it. The the squeakiest wheel gets the grease. 
I've heard of all these other good things. I saw the commercial where they gave someone $10,000 to start college. So maybe that's more important. So that's interesting. And of course, we look at, okay, why was that done? I don't know, probably because their PR person, their reputation coach said, all right, this is bad. We got to get ahead of it. And obviously, it's it's worked in many cases because I keep seeing the commercial. So how important is reputation? I'll ask this question. What would happen if they also had a reputation of poor service, missed deliveries, and poor quality products over 50% of the time, but they treated their employees really well? How often would you buy from them? I wouldn't be. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, again, it's answering a question with a question, but that comes to, again, just the beautiful yet quirky psychology of human behavior. Tom? Well, let's go from questions to answers. Dr. Martha. (laughs) So I wanted to um, add to something Linda Ann brought up earlier, the importance of being proactive with your reputation. And whether that's your reputation or your character as an individual or reputation as a company, I think the starting point is who do you want to be and how do you want people to perceive you? And then from there, you have to figure out, well, what do I need to do to get to that point? And if as an organization, it really doesn't matter that much to you what your reputation is, as long as the bottom line is what you need it to be, then that is a lost conversation. Because the point of that, that you and Dr. Jeremy just brought up We all know of companies that maybe fall short in terms of uh, responsibilities to their employees or the environment or whatever the case may be. But if it meets a need of mine, I may turn a blind eye to whatever else I heard. And maybe it has to get really bad before I feel socially bullied into not buying from them because now more people are not buying from them. So it is a complicated matter. And it goes back to whether or not there is a general interest from those at the top of an organization to have a certain reputation and to keep it in a certain way. Because if that doesn't really matter to you, you're not going to be inspired to do anything about it until it affects your bottom line. But if the organization is such that they are interested in having a certain reputation, they will be proactive. Um, you know, people, if, if you leave that to chance, your reputation precedes you. We've all heard that. And if you leave it to chance, it's going to run amok potentially. And as far as character, You can't trust somebody assessing their own character. You want to know somebody's character? Take a look at what others are saying about them and take a look at their behaviors. And that translates not only to individuals, but the organization as a whole, right? Because after all, what is an organization but a collection of individuals coming together to do something together, work towards a certain goal? So it's it's a very interesting topic. It's as complex as human psychology because we're dealing with humans. And for some people, 
It just won't matter. And for other people, it will matter a great deal. And then we talked a little bit about the idea of vulnerability. We've heard about vulnerability a lot over the last few years. Everybody wants the leaders to be vulnerable. Well, I have news for you. There are people out there who are not interested in being vulnerable, and they'll tell you what to do with it, right? So think about having a situation where you have someone in a leadership position and they're being nagged to death about about being vulnerable and it's the last thing they want to do. Is that going to be a good outcome? Probably not because if they attempt anything, it'll be uncomfortable for everybody. It'll probably not be genuine and people will be able to see right through it. So we really have to look at people for who they are, which is very complex uh, psychological beings and uh, and take it for what it is, not expect everybody to fit into a specific mold. Not everybody wants the same thing. Not everybody's interested in the same thing. And um, sometimes things change according to whichever way the wind blows. And I'm curious, you know, how often in your practice do you have that reputation discussion or do most CEOs, if things are fine, just assume that their reputation and the organization reputation is fine. I think a lot of times reputation comes up when something goes wrong. It's kind of like that OSHA visit, right? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> but if nothing's said, then don't worry about it. We we have, you know, the, the bottom line and profit to discuss, not some some out there idea that isn't affecting us, or at least that's how it's perceived. Yeah. Linda Ann, let's go to you. So when you, when you, this is an interesting thing that, you know, conversation uh, segment where people brought up different things of this. Um, when you're talking about, you know, the, the products and services versus the employee reputation and those, those kinds of employer reputation, um, those kinds of things. I think it's important to really look at um, how you're consuming, like, how you're consuming whatever they're putting out there. In other words, if I'm looking for a job, then their employer reputation really matters to me. And, um, you know, I may never offer, uh, uh, order anything from that packaging company, but, um, but they have maybe a good, you know, employee process. I think it's also interesting to understand how people decide on reputation. What are their deciding factors? And I'll give you an example. I used to work for, uh, years ago, I worked for a, a community hospital. So they, they, the PR department had done surveys because they were looking for, you know, what hospitals were called top of mind. When you said local hospital, what, what one popped in your head, those kinds of things. But what came back is there was a correlation between the quality of the food and their perception of the quality of care. And so if they had good food, if a a hospital had good food, they were perceived as offering quality care. And so I think it's important to understand what is that correlation that people are using to judge and evaluate that reputation? Yeah, that (laughs) you took me back because I can remember visiting people in hospital and asking the nurses if the food was good in the cafeteria. Uh, (laughs) um, Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we talk about kind of a, a few different things, you know, as as we talk about different stakeholders, different aspects of that reputation are going to be different. As a consumer, I don't necessarily, my first concern is not the the well-being of the employees uh, that they're 
that they have. My my first concern in that relationship is, am I getting what I want or need in the time and way that I want? It's it's unfortunate. I would like to believe I'm more humanistic than that, but you know that's that's one of the the benefits and, and risks of, of capitalism. There, I'm going to go and find the best product and, and things like that. Um, you know, yes, we all like to think that we have the big talk of well, if I all things being equal the one that's more humanistic with their organization and their employees, that's the one I'm going to side with because, you know, and then unfortunately becomes a tiebreaker rather than a deciding factor. But I think just in, in general terms of, of reputation, we, we think so often that it's so fragile. It's so easy to damage your reputation. You have one off color joke. You have one misstep. You have one day that everything goes off the rails and, and it's caught on film or, or anything like that. And all of a sudden, you're banished to the far reaches of, of nowhere, um, and how much you have to do to repair that. I think it's it works at a different speed scale for organizations because you can get you know the urban legend or the news story that nobody can get out of their their head or the accusations that that are made that are never proven or otherwise. But the headline is out there, and they say organization X you know is hiding aliens. And you never get past that headline for some people. And so you never can get past that perception. Um, so it's just, it's that odd thing of, you know, some organizations can have that sensational headline and still have great success because they're doing well in other parts of the relationships that they have with their stakeholders. And other times it'll completely collapse something because humans are, are funny creatures and misinformation and, and kind of being critical of media and understanding it. It's a really hard skill. So we we default to the easiest speed. And sometimes the the sensational eye-grabbing headline is going to be something that that always sticks with you, whether it's true or not. Or, you know, that that one bad experience is what sticks out to mind rather than the 15 positive ones. On well, that I, note, Tom, I must say, <laughs> if you are a like a an unknown company and you are looking to become a known company somehow get it front page of every main newspaper that your company is hiding aliens because you will become a very good company it goes back to the no no bad no like no like bad pr is still pr because i would want to know about that company and i would know about that company and i might buy from that company because maybe they're trying to help the aliens maybe the but, aliens were sick maybe they're giving them <laughs> medical care but that like would be the, fantastic thanks the, the positive intent there is, is there but you know you could be somebody who wants to appeal to you know the mba the, the middle class or whatever and now you've got this alien reputation and you're getting the folks who are wearing the tinfoil hats and so now you're getting the attention that you don't want because of of something sensational or misunderstood I'd still buy their coffee, Nick. <laughs> what was the old thing? Uh, Dennis Rodman has to be an alien. <laughs> he was so good at what he did. No human could do that. Uh, but, but you know, at the same time, I, I, you know, the value of reputation, I never heard of Dominion voting machines until a particular television network defame them <laughs> and it costs them over 700 million dollars um so yeah uh aaron let's go to you definitely first off wow i'm coming at the tales of five different people that just spoke so there's so much to, to answer um i think i'd first like to piggyback off what nick said what i heard as he was stating that was basically reevaluating at every stage more or less like as you grow you have to reevaluate hey where's my reputation at it's an ongoing process you know, when Dr. Um, 
Dr. Grajdek, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, was speaking. Uh, you can give me a thumbs up, thumbs down if I did. Oh, no. <laughs> you have to give me the pronunciation later. But why I call I was, her Dr. Martha. <laughs> I know, Dr. Martha. But I was thinking character versus competence is what you were mentioning. And when you're thinking like at the stage of a small business, let's say you want to you know, make photocopies. You're just a person and one or two people in a garage with a printer or a laminator. Your competence is not going to be able to battle with the big dogs at that stage. So you have to look at your balance as character. Like you mentioned, the aliens, maybe that's your niche. Maybe it's something like that. Hey, how can I get my name out there? How can I be known? And so you lean more on that character balance at that stage. But I think you continue, as far as practice goes, continue to look at your reputation almost yearly, maybe every couple of years, depending on the speed that you're growing in your organization. And once you get to a stage of growth, then, okay, how much character or care for our employees are we looking at versus how much competence are we showing? Where's the external brand, the internal brand, and or rather reputation? And that brings me to another theoretical point of what's the difference between reputation and brand, but that could be a whole separate issue. That said, um, I just thought to that balance and it comes down to, as far as practice goes, that insight from the CEO, from each employee, how aligned are we in our values with each other? And then that circles back to the very start of the podcast of basically what, what's our values? Right. What are we doing here, basically? But to do that, we have to keep our eyes open. And do you find that a lot of people just want to walk around in a haze and not actually see the truth in front of them? Oh, definitely. Uh, the theory of adult development states that 80% of people still are emotionally at a teenager's level, which is, you know, if we've been around teenagers or, you know, 80% of the people around us, even adults, we see, okay, I want to keep my head down. I want comfort because then I know that I have routine, that I have less stress. It's those that are in leadership positions that have to push themselves. We talk about vulnerability and authenticity. Well, there are some who don't want to get there, but then I would say they probably don't need to be in leadership positions unless you are in a purely like financial or logistical position, in which case your character doesn't matter as much as your competency in that stage. But to answer your question, yes, I see a lot of people resist and it's the strength of human will and character and leaning onto your coach or your reputation manager to say, okay, I need to own my stuff basically and follow through. And that's where the strength comes in the discomfort. You need to own as an IO. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maria, let's go to you. Um, Dr. Martha, because I've attempted many times to say her name and I still can't. Um, Dr. Martha made a good point. You know, I, I often think many organizations have quality um, measures performed. Quality measures are usually based on standards. Standards, when followed, create positive outcomes. But at the end of the day, if the people who are in all of these organizations, don't feel they have any stake in those outcomes, they're not going to change their behavior. So I, I think, you know, I think it was Nick that said, you know, from the top down is where character comes. And if those standards are not emulated from the top down, then the people who are doing the work, a lot of it, the grunt work, if you will, um, they're the ones that are being measured on those standards. And they're the ones that are creating that reputation for that particular organization, but yet that particular standard um, or, or behavior of standard 
is not trickling down. So it really does start from the top down. But but do most organizations just wait until they their reputation falls flat on its face before they actually start to get interested in it? Well, it goes back to what I shared in, in the beginning, right? Um, most will not be proactive. They'll usually be reactive. Uh, if, you know, they live by the philosophy, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. But is it really not broken? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is broken. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. So first, my question to Nick is, are we talking about illegal aliens or are we talking about beings off the planet? Because I, I, think I was that going makes space aliens for, for ridiculous effect. <laughs> because, you know, one, I would check them out. The other, I don't care. So, um, <laughs> But going back to what Dr. Jeremy brought up, the idea of um, negative attention is still attention. I mean, you think about that kid that acts out and all he or she wants is attention, any kind of attention, because it's the only time anybody pays attention to them. So then the question becomes in the world of adults in the world of organizations, is there value to getting anything out there that gets people talking about you? Right. And that may not necessarily be a good reputation, but if it means people are talking about you and your brand or your company name is a household uh, name or household phrase or a dinner um, conversation, is there value in that? And I think that there are people who will perceive that as value and they will not be so concerned with the type of reputation as much as they will be concerned with being on people's minds, being part of or topics of the conversation. And I think we will all judge that according to our own standards, but that is a reality that's out there. And that's something to consider. Um, it, that kind of reminds me of politics today. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you like what I'm saying or not, just as long as you're talking about me around the dinner table. Um, do we need to get away from that a little bit? Well, you would hope so, but then that goes back to the character, right? If 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 you're willing to do something or get something at any cost, that's very different from a person who will not cross a certain line, right? Very, very different. Yeah. So that goes back to the character of the decision maker or the, you know, the lever pusher or who, whoever is, is driving that. Jeremy, I think we need to have a show on character. <laughs> we need to fix that. Uh, Linda, Ann, let's go to you. I think what one thing to think about is that the intent that you might have, if you've said, okay, this is the reputation that I would like our organization to have as an employer or as a product provider or as, you know, a finance, you know, financial performance, however you want that reputation to um, appear. It's important to decide how you're going to monitor that on a regular basis. And the reason and, and the frequency with with which you will be monitoring that. And one of the reasons I say that is because I've seen it where, um, especially if it's a smaller organization and the uh, CEO or owner or whatever is intent on having a good employee reputation. They want their employees to stay. They're doing the, the work to do that. And um, when they're asked, 
they go, oh, yeah, it's great. I know all about it. I'm in touch and those kinds of things. And you do a little bit of a brief feedback, like give me an index card with one thing you change or whatever. And I know that the feedback sometimes comes back and it's not what they expected it to be, even though. So it's important to have your touch points on a regular basis to make sure that even though your intent is X, are you really accomplishing X? Yes. And and I have to ask you, because we're having this discussion today, we're talking about reputation. If I was, you know, if if I was a potential client for you and we were having this discussion right now, over your shoulder, I see a sign that says integrity, um, which really adds to your reputation um, and to your brand. Is that on purpose? <laughs> oh, your mic's not on. Linda Ann, have we have we lost your mic? Sorry, it, it absolutely is on purpose because it, what the rest of it says is <clears throat> do the right thing, not because you're told to or because someone's watching, but because you have the integrity to change the world one small action at a time. And that's really, really important to me when you take an action just because you want to leave the world a better place. I like that sign. <laughs> Lee, let's go to you. I really like that, too. Um, you know, I kind of look at this as two different things that the, uh, you know, your branding is something that you're doing intentionally, you know, or at least we hope you're doing it intentionally. And so you're really working on that. So you, you, you've got a strategy, you're putting it forward. And I see reputation as more of what people say when you're not in the room. So there's only a certain amount of management that you can really do to that because, you know, branding is part of that, you know, influencing that. Engaging your reputation is often difficult because what you say they say when you're not in the room is not always the same as what they say when you're in the room, uh, which of course is why you have sites like Glassdoor and stuff like that. Um, so it's often difficult to gauge that. And and I would say in the world of business, for most businesses, that uh, attention is attention is attention is probably not the way you really want to go. You really want that to be positive because I may think of you, but if it's negative. I may intentionally go to one of your competitors because, you know, I, I'm one of those people that bad advertising will send me to your competitor. If your advertising annoys me and I have another option, I'm probably going to door number two. That's just me personally. Maybe I'm just contrary. I don't know. But, uh, and, you know, and then you have to, to look at, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, things that become household names. I mean, uh, an example, uh, Kleenex, you know. We call all tissue Kleenex, but if you look over, you know, on your desk and you've got some tissue there, are they Kleenex or are they a different brand? You know, same thing with like ChapStick, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of lip balm you have, you call it ChapStick, you know? And, and so that's the other thing you have to be careful with is, it, yeah, you may make your product a household name, but if you don't do something to maintain that, you may just become uh, just a descriptor. And, that, and then you're not going to have the market share that would be implied by that branding. So, so let me ask you, Lee, is it a fair question if I said to you, so Lee, what's your reputation? Well, that'd be a very fair question. Um, and it's a difficult question to answer because, you know, just like I said, it's a difficult thing to gauge. You know, and what I think people think of me <clears throat> may be very different than what people actually think of me. Um, you know, and... Uh, can I tell you what my reputation is at this moment? I can't, you know, but I haven't really looked into it either. Um, 
<clears throat> you know, I kind of I, I try to go with, you know, like Linda Ann's, you know, integrity thing, doing doing the same thing if nobody's looking. Um, and I hope that people see that. But, you know, then again, I'd have to do some market research to figure out what really people really think. We'll just share with you, Lee. <laughs> Feel free. Aaron, let's go. Feel free. And we'll start with Aaron. Aaron, let's go to you. <laughs> All right. Well, Lee, I think that's an excellent like statement, first and foremost. Like that's exactly what I was going to get at is you can't like reputation is external. It's what others are seeing about you. And so I wanted to piggyback off what Linda Ann mentioned earlier of monitor your character, monitor your reputation. Like, where am I going? Where do I want to be? But also remember, like in a simple gap analysis, you see where you want to be, but then you have to be realistic about where you are. You know, uh, one of the values at integrated leadership systems is love because we want to spread love. Simple as that in our coaching. And so the way that I love is different than the way that somebody else would love. But there's still, I want to be a certain pe per type of person. Like people saw my best self at PSYOP. I was high-fiving every person I walked past, past. But who I am currently is still a quiet kid. There's still moments where I'm quiet. And so there's that gap of how do you get there? But you have to be insightful enough and surround yourself with the people that call out, hey, you're being quiet again. That's not your best self. You have to know where you're at in order to monitor that character and reputation to go where you're going. It's um, can't see the, the trees through the forest rather than the opposite. You're looking so far forward, you're going to knock your face on a tree insightfully. I think I might want to come work for you, Nick. Um, <laughs> or Aaron. Uh, Nick, let's go to you first, and then Jeremy, I'll come back to you. Yeah, it's, it's something I've written down as part of part of reputation management. You know, you can be very much prisoner of the moment. You can you can see the negative headline and go, oh, my gosh, all hands on deck. Like, we, we've got to fix this. It's it's going to sink us. Not realizing maybe you've got, you know, five years of, of goodwill built up. I think people people react to that, you know, in the moment. If you lose the headline, well, OK, are you, are you still standing when the dust settles? Uh People don't tend to do a ton of follow-up on on some of these headlines and things like that. So it may just be a blip. It may be a bad news cycle. Um, but I think that there's there's something to be said of are you is part of who you are, is part of your strategy that reactive like panic, or is it saying we're gonna stay the course, we're gonna keep being who we are? This campaign messed up, this accident happened, and we're going to fix our reputation by how we handle ourselves moving forward out of this. Um, and to, to your point with no, noticing Linda Ann's sign in the back, I think that there's nothing wrong with in perceived as, you know, if, if you're doing it as, as a snake oil salesman, that's, that's one thing, but if it's genuinely who you are, uh, as in Linda Ann's case, that's, that's even more powerful. It's that subtle clue. It's those small, they see, but don't, don't always register. And it just kind of lays in the back of their mind and, and goes forward from there. Yeah, good point. Well, Jeremy, we've, we've exhausted our hour. We've had a great conversation. Any last minute things you want to leave us with? Three, don't touch that dial. We're going to bring it all back. I do want to mention real quick in terms of reputation, think about what you're actually going to and what you're actually, what the actual result is. Tom, you've heard this example before. Years ago, I was I was coaching individuals who had just had their annual performance review. So I'm coaching this guy, and uh, he's always like, yeah, this was great. Even though it's embarrassing, share my story. I still won't use his name. 
he during his performance review he got the feedback that he was a little too too goofy to some of the some of the the higher ups in the in the suits for example he would give these presentations he's in the boardroom or the conference room at various times and he's a little too goofy and it made people uncomfortable so i'm talking to him and i think this was like the the like the, the three word long coaching session before we had a result it was um it seems like you're you're goofy to, to make people because you want people to be comfortable. And he says, yes, I want people to be comfortable. They're stiff in there. I want people to relax so they can hear my message. I said, with your goofiness, how else might you make them feel? And he said, uncomfortable. And then he just said, wow. And before he had said, I don't have the want to want to change. And then he said, now I have the want to want to change. So what he was going for, he was actually hurting himself towards his actual goal. Next, uh, we're coming up on May. May is our AI artificial intelligence month. <laughs> Nobody's heard about anything AI related in the past month, right? Uh, so, so we're going to, it's interesting because our last, the, the topics for the last uh, two weeks are to be determined because everything's happening so fast. So we want to make sure we get those, those good topics. On that note, Tom, you mentioned character. Thank you, Rich Cruz, uh, for this. It appears we may, and I say may because I mean it, we may have Dr. Bruce Weinstein come on for our net. I think it's our next one. I, I should, uh, yes, transformation. Nope, sorry, for our May 11th. So next week is transformation of business through AI. On May 11th, ex ethics and AI business. That's when Dr. Bruce Weinstein might pop on. He's been a Forbes, Forbes contributor for like six years he is the CEO of the Institute for High Character Leadership. Tom made me think of, we should do a one on character. So we can look forward to that as well. Next, I couldn't help because of the alien and then the coffee reference. There is an alien coffee company. So I wanted to mention that. There's also a book called Alien Coffee. where <laughs> I had to look this up quick. I just couldn't resist. Thank you, Nick. Where... There's, there's a, I think like a teenage girl and she realized someone's been drinking her coffee. It turns out it's teenage aliens. And then they get into this big scuffle with like these Colombian uh, drug Lords. So it's alien coffee by John Carroll. I've never read it. I have no idea about it, but it fits in so well. And I also found an article, ancient aliens invented Arabica coffee in order to keep their mine workers mining gold all hyped up. They created the drug. So that's full circle, Tom. That's probably the most interesting closing we've had. So we'll go ahead and call curtains. Tom, do you have anything last? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Thank you, everyone. It's been amazing as always. And thanks for everyone. Uh, if you're not here, if, if you know, PSYOP was an amazing time that we all had in Boston. Let's keep the energy. Let's keep the momentum. And again, kudos to PSYOP uh, for an absolutely great conference. We'll see you next time. Closing out in five, four three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at Seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At Seabock.com.